Yeah, and I think that some people do think when they hear that word inquiry that I've spoken about, they I guess they think about, you know, I, I guess you do hear of some people describe it as anarchy, but it's not really, you know, like kids hanging off rafters and things like that, but it isn't. It's about them finding themselves and, and, and working out being problem solvers. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With automated self-grading quizzes after every video, My Study Series ensures students receive immediate feedback on their level of understanding. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 66 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and video log where you are able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PLD when you need it most. I'm your host Carl Kondaloff and I'm joined again by my co-host Celia Fleck. Celia, start of spring, what's new or on top for you? Oh, it is the start of spring. Um, What's new or on top for me? That's a tough question. Uh, What's new or on top? Not a lot. That has completely stumped me, actually. I feel like... You're, you mentioned you were walk, working from home after doing a fair bit of travel over the last few weeks. Yeah, the travel has been awesome. And actually, that's what's new. I spent um, my first visit ever to uh, Gisborne, Tairawhiti, last week. I had not ever been over to the East Coast in terms of further north than the Hawke's Bay. Um, so that was a real privilege and got up as far as Tukumaru Bay and visited a little school up there with 30 kids. Um, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome visit. So that's that's my what's new. I thought your SIE involvement would have seen you head up that way. No, it never did. No. Mm. And it would be great for that community but yeah no that didn't eventuate Mm. episode 66 we had lj mcclellan on the episode uh he's an ex-sprinter um a a really fast sprinter you know running some really big times but he's also living uh overseas teaching in the primary uh space what what did you think of the episode what's what what stuck out for you in terms of good learning I thought there was really nice continuity of a theme that we've heard over the last um, few episodes around um, student-centred or athlete-centred, as he talked about a little bit as well, um, learning. So really giving our young people that ownership of their learning, allowing them to be really curious and creative and inquire um, give things a go, fail if they need to, as they will, um, and then just kind of pick it up and, and keep going rather than being that kind of um, deliverer of content and knowledge. So it was nice to hear that uh, being reinforced again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there has been that theme come through really strongly over the last last few episodes. I, I liked 
And I think this came to me because I tend to travel a lot overseas and we can't, and it frustrates me. But just hearing AJ talk about, um, sorry, LJ talk about the, uh, how Kiwi educators are perceived and how they're perceived as um, maybe, I don't know if casual is the right word, but a little bit more laid back and relaxed, but have really um, strong relationships with their students. And it just got me thinking of the times you travel overseas and you bump into a Kiwi and you can have really good dialogue and discussion with them. And it's, and it's like meeting an old friend. And it got me thinking about that and then reflecting on, on education and teachers and the great relationships that you see in the classroom. So I think that really stuck out for me. Um, it was cool to have another international guest, and we've had quite a few recently, but nice to have a, a, an ex-Kiwi uh, or a Kiwi who's teaching overseas on the show. So I think there's some good, um, some good takeaways for primary and secondary teachers. Um, so we'll jump straight into episode 66 with LJ McDermott. Hey, LJ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Awesome. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yeah, sure thing. I've um, currently been teaching for around about 13 years. Um, I'm actually in my 10th year of being overseas. Um, I was, uh, we spent four and a half years in, in the UAE. Um, uh, teaching in Abu Dhabi, so I had some experiences teaching in a local school there, which was which was different. And um, then from there, I was lucky enough to be accepted into um, Raha, which was um, an IB school, um, international school there. Um, and from there, I have been um, in. We've been in, in Singapore for our. We're in our sixth year, and again teaching in an American international school. Um, a very large international school. It's got about three and a half thousand, three to three and a half thousand students, um, and this is ranging from um, pre-kindergarten all the way up to to leaving um, to, to leaving school. So it's slightly different from the the small school of three hundred that I taught in for a couple of years before I left. You know, before I got I got my registration in New Zealand and. And Fairfield Dunedin in there, um, so it, it's been been it's been it's been an adventure. What uh, what your third year teacher? What drove you to head over to the Middle East? Uh, because that's a you know that's a completely completely different learning environment. I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to to head over to the Middle East to present, and just I was blown away by the schools. But as a I couldn't imagine making that move as a, as a young third year teacher. So what kind of what drove you over there? Well, to be honest, mate, it's a bit of a love story. I um, oh, I, awesome. I, uh, I I met my my wife, my beautiful wife. Actually, ten years ten years engagement was this weekend. So, I met her uh, in Dunedin while um, we were both teaching. I was teaching at Fairfield, and um, and when I met her, she um, was sort of she'd she'd had the idea and she was kind of planning it and. Um, yeah, and it's sort of, I hadn't quite finished my registration and, and, um, I said to her, oh, hey, let, you know, let me, let me, um, let me finish my registration and, and we'll see how that goes. And, and then away you go. So, um, 
I'd, I'd obviously done a little bit of trouble with um, with my athletics and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, we we, um, we we went over to Abu Dhabi. It was our it was her first teaching experience overseas as well. Um, we'd had friends that had done it, and they'd said that it had been pretty good. So we um, we packed our bags. We we went through a recruitment agency and. It was all a bit of a wind, a whirlwind, really. They they called us up on New, on Christmas Eve, two thousand and ten, and said your your flights are tomorrow, um, wow. and we flew we flew on Christmas Day, two thousand and ten, arrived in Abu Dhabi, um, on the same day, late at night, um, and you know we haven't looked back. Mm. So mm. it, it, it was. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and and again, it's not something that I'd actually thought of. It hadn't been in 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 my sort of plan. Um, like I say, I was teaching in Fairfield Primary School, which is a decile ten school in Dunedin, and and it was a fantastic job, um, amazing, amazing workmates, and um, I was I was you know I I was very lucky to have got that job sort of straight out straight mm. straight out of teachers college. Um, and they were um, the teacher there. The principal, Andy Larson, was was great, and I was very settled. But um, you know, things change, and um, here we are, ten mm. years later. <laughs> you mentioned your athletics background, and I I love hearing athletes, particularly elite athletes. I love hearing their st- sporting stories because you can always tell a lot about um, a person or, or an athlete and their background and where they've come from um, by by digging into the, the stories that they have. So can you give us a little bit more insight into your background in track and field? Um, yeah, sure. It was, um, again, it's something I've always loved competition and obviously being brought up a, a Kiwi kid, of, I've, you know, I had a, a, a um, pretty sporty family and dad played rugby for um, you know, up north, and um, mum was a was a into her dance and things like that. So I've always had a pretty sporting background. But I guess um, when I was younger, I I realised I, I had a bit of pace. Um, so that all sort of started coming together when I moved um, from the North Island down to the South, um, and when I went to Dunedin, moved to Dunedin, and I was lucky enough to get. Um, uh, put on to Brent Ward, who is a very well-known yep. athletics coach throughout New Zealand, and he looked after me since you know um, since I was about 14, 15. Um, and from there, and through his through his coaching, um, I managed to work my way up through you know the school systems. Um, I competed at, at at secondary school nationals, but I didn't really. I didn't really come through and become recognised until after school, I guess. Must have been a bit of a late bloomer. Um, but from the school system and um, through um, after, after, after school, I got picked up and recognised and became a carded athlete. And from there, um, you know, got some national titles and, and qualified to go to um, the World Junior Championships to represent New Zealand, um, which was great in 2000. I'm a bit of an old boy now. Um, 
but no, that's all just part of, I guess, just the love of competition and um, the love of of um, trying to do better. Admittedly, I could have done better. Like we were having that pre-discussion um, before we, before the podcast came on, and I guess um, I was a bit of a lazy trainer. Um, so I guess there's the, the, the always the the coulda woulda shouldas. Um, mm. but, but Wardy was such a good, um, such a great coach, and he really, I guess, the way that he coached really sort of, I guess, he kind of guided me to. Um, to, I guess love teaching as well, and 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 I I, I do love coaching as well. So I guess from from his um, having him as a coach and as a mentor, um, and and Chris Donaldson working with him through, from when I was a young age, you know, those two there have really guided me into where I am today into my mm. teaching. Mm. What what distances and and what sort of times were you running? Uh, so I I'd say my my, my distance was a hundred meters. Um, I, I ran, um, my fastest non wind assisted time, I think was about 10, five. Wow. Um, um, but when, uh, I, I ran, um, 10, 32 and I think the wind was just too windy. I think it was a three meter tailwind. So you can't really, you know, you can't really call that. You can't really call that a time, but I, they, they do say if, if you can run that time with a little bit of a wind, then you can run it without it. So, um, and mm. I also did the four by one hundred meters. I I, mm. I um, was in a I got I was in the in the in the world junior team for the four by one, and then also I, I, I they had a couple of test competitions with Australia and Pacific mm. in the senior year as well, where I represented New Zealand in the in the four by one as well. And so, and New Zealand record that. What's that sitting at? Ten, eleven, if I recall. Is that? I is that think, about? I think Gus has got that, and I think it's ten one eight. Okay. okay. Um, I think that um, his son. His son's Noah, just around the corner from me. He's I've, he's a beast. Yeah, I've I've only seen him on the telly, um, but I, and, you know, you, you follow him on the old Instagram and things like that, and I've seen him training, but. He definitely looks like a bit of a, a he's a solid young man. <laughs> he's much he's much bigger than Gus, I, I think. He he does definitely have that rugby build. Not a not a sprinter build from from what I've seen, but he's he's running some pretty fast times. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he takes it. Um, mm. I, um I'm always sort of trying to follow along um Athletics New Zealand and see see the talent coming through and um, yeah, it'll be de- definitely be interesting to see um, how how well he goes and and sort of, I guess it's a bit of a tricky one for him because he, he is a he is a talent and there's obviously been that talk about him going to rugby as well. Um, and I, I'm actually really pleased that he took the took the track option um, because of I guess because of his father's background and I think it's important because. Especially for you know you, you know you see athletic uh, you see athletics and we've got some very talented athletes in the past, but rugby does tend to dominate. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that he did take that take that 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 that, that track. I guess. Now athletics is, you know, it's an individual sport and there's there's some real interesting things related to that and, and an example I use a lot is because I was a um, I was a national high jump champ through secondary school and so that was a big part of me and when I think back to high jumping 
um, being an individual sport, you were, you were, regardless of how good you were, you were always beaten by the bar. The bar always won at the end of the at the end of the day, and that was quite unique about high jump. And again, with um, with say a hundred meter runner, sure you're competing against seven other people, but also um, you're so driven by that personal best and those times. And I, I think when you when you factor in all those different unique angles that athletics and track and field provided, I think it shapes you as a person um and in, in quite a unique way so I'm, ex- I'm i'm interested in hearing how those experiences may have guided the way you teach as as an educator do you have any thoughts around that um i think it really is um about taking what you've learned in your personal experiences like you've said and bringing it into that teaching environment i mean the way that our squad was run with with brent was we were a squad and you did look after each other. You know, a lot of us lived together and the way that he had us training, he made it fun and he did have that competitive element. So, you know, there was the bounding activities, which I guess they could have been done as an individual, but he had that sort of, okay, you know, Chris has gone this far. Let's see who can go even better. And then, you know, he had that different aspect of, um, and those different types of skills and drills that you were doing. And I guess I looked at the, uh, the way that he ran things and you bring that into the, the teaching environment and it's not just about um, throwing a ball, it's about learning how to become better. So it's about, you know, if, if you're doing, you know, like a, a standing long jump to, to, as a bit of a plyometric explosive exercise, it's not about how far you can jump. It's about how and what you need to change to jump further. Um, and it's about reflecting on um, what you can do and what you can change to in, in regards to the to the skill um, to become better and to jump further. So I guess as a teacher, you're sort of asking questions about um, the students and how they can adapt and what they need to adapt so they can improve and be successful. Um, I try and get when I'm teaching, um, especially at the moment, we're at, we're at the start of the year and we're looking into a health and well-being unit and we're looking at the whole social and emotional aspect of um, themselves and we're looking at the physical aspect and how they combine. And a lot of it is about teamwork at the moment. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to take away the sort of competitive element um, although it was fun, and I use the word succeed just for a little bit, uh, I want and it gets them thinking about, okay, well, we could have a race, but we could also talk about in our team what we need to do to just be successful as a team and how that can then lead to winning. Um, so it, it is important, and I, I guess it's about the, the questions that we ask and um, what we do with those questions to to become better learners, better at what we're doing and that, and that's a i guess that's a um that can be taken to a global sort of thing what we can what can we do to become better people and better dads and better brothers and things like that so yeah it's it's it, uh, those experiences from track have been really important and they are a big part of my life and i do sort of think about how i can connect them to to my to my teaching and things like that I, I like that and it obviously very clearly comes through your experience um having 
you know, those training squads and supporting one another and, and being there for one another. And I know you mentioned that you were flatting with a few athletes um, and then being able to bring that and support um, your students in that way too and and build on those relationships is, is obviously something that, that you really value. It's interesting, I listening to you say that, um, I was quite jealous because I, I think at, at the time when I was an athlete, high jump was very weak in New Zealand. Uh, there weren't many people jumping, so there was never really this big ex extended squad where, as as an athlete, I could draw on support and reach out to my peers in the way that it sounds like you could. Um, but then for you to be able to bring that back and have that guide you in the way you teach and support your students is, I, I think, is really cool to hear. Now you've been you've been teaching in international schools far longer than you've taught in New Zealand. So I'm, I'm keen to hear how you might incorporate uh, a bit of Aotearoa flavour into your teaching. So how, how do you make your, and, and this may not work for you, but do you try to bring a little bit of Kiwi into, into your classroom? Um, I guess I'm actually quite fortunate because the first school that I taught at um, in Fairfield was an inquiry-based learning school. We sort of obviously had the learning outcomes and things, but it was you know, they, they, they did have the students, they were thinking and they were trying to take action in regards to um, the the subjects that they were taking. So um, in one way, I was lucky because I could take what I'd learned in New Zealand and through the, you know, um, the Kath Murdoch, um, the inquiry process we looked at there at Fairfield and a lot of this, uh, the, the school in Raha, the international and also um, Stanford American and Singapore, they sort of run alongside those lines. They, they are IB school, um, so I'm teaching the PYP. And it's it's more than just, um, it's more than just, I guess, trying to reach an outcome. They're, they have the whole umbrella of the learner profiles and the key concepts, the big idea um, and how the students get there. Um, and, and, and take that final action. Um, and again, I guess I'm quite lucky in regards to the fact that they have the different six transdisciplinary themes in the IB, which are essentially, they lead to the, they help the central idea, which is the big idea. And one of our, one of our things in PE is, is cultural games. So I, we, we have a, have a unit or, or, or a, sorry, a section of the unit where we look um, at New Zealand games. So we look at, you know, we get the kids to think about, you know, we play Tapawai with the students and it gets them thinking about the skills that are used within Tapawai, but also it gets them thinking about and creates discussions about, well, why might have this happened? Why did the, the Māori people use this equipment and what might have made them come up with this game and things like that? So that's quite cool being able to do that as well touching base on um you know like you mentioned the Aotearoa flavor um but I guess I'm kind of also um I like to think of myself as a relaxed teacher in regards to the students are comfortable with me I can um you know that I've got that 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 um relationship with them where they can you know um I can talk to them in a way where they feel comfortable and I think I think the New Zealand teachers are known for that and they're recognised around the world for 
also being hard workers in regards to their planning and having that understanding of the purpose of the planning. Um, and I've taken that and I think that's helped with, with, you know, within the school environments as well. So do you mean the way, the way you describe that, I, I, I feel like you're saying how a, a Kiwi teacher, their relationship with the student might be a little less formal. Is, is that kind of what you're playing at there? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. they still, you obviously you still have those boundaries and you still, have, sure, you still sure. have the respect of the students, but I think it's more of a way of um, they're not afraid to share their ideas and they're not afraid to take risks around you. Um, and the way that I teach is, you know, it's letting them try different things. So instead of, you know, um, them saying, oh, you know, um, you know, you know, we could throw the ball like this. I could, I, instead of saying, well, no, that's not right. That's not how we throw the ball. It's, why don't you go and give that a go? Try that out. Try different things. Um, and then come back and tell me how you went. Did it work? Why did it work? Why didn't it work? So it's about them giving things a go and, and that trial and error. Mm, that's good. I, I like that. I, I do like that. And I think yeah, you're right. I think Kiwis are, we do have... Um, relationships are important to us and we know and we've we've spent so long focusing on how relationships are one of the key elements of teaching for us and I think yeah definitely um, the way we engage with our students might be different when you consider other countries and curriculums around the world and I, I started my teaching career at a very very liberal school and and you know you mentioned about still having boundaries there well, at the school those boundaries were even lower in terms of um, that student engagement which was had its challenges but it also made for a really really um, unique and, and positive learning environment for those kids like they called you they didn't call me by my name they, they called me Mr C or Condo that we had nicknames and that was just the school and that's what they were known for and that made for a, a really unique environment so um you know, I, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Now, your technology is really big for you, and it plays a big a big role in your classrooms. Can you talk me through, like, say, typical usage for you with technology and examples that you'd be using with your students? And you're you're in primary, is that's correct? Yeah, PYP. So I'm teaching. I teach grades three, four, and five, which would be years four, five, and six. No thanks. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 it has its challenges, but uh, I'm very fortunate to be in a school where the kiddos are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty lovable. <laughs> um, so my first, um, I, I was actually very fortunate to. I haven't always been a PE teacher. I was, I, I, I studied in in um, in Dunedin in the teachers' college there, and and I was a homeroom teacher or or a classroom teacher, and when I went to Abu Dhabi uh, at Raha, I got put into a grade five, year six um, classroom, and it was iPad one to one. They didn't want us using paper, so I it was my first experience in that environment. Um, so I had to quickly learn about how to use that iPad as a learning tool, um, and the apps that I could use, and and how I could do it to get the best out of the students because um, of the way that I wanted it done. 
we did have paper books, we did have writing books, but you know, they were only used on a very rare occasion. Um, so I've sort of taken that and then when, once I got accepted into the PE role at Stanford, I've again tried to roll on that knowledge of, of the apps. So I, I, we generally use apps, um, not all the time, but throughout the units, we'll, I'll, I'll get the students to bring them and we'll use apps such as Flipgrid so the students can help share their ideas and, um, and um, note them down and have them, you know, um, sharing their understanding and prior knowledge and things like that, all the way through to just using the basic camera on the iPad um, to um, slow down the motion of throwing to get them talking about, well, what, what, what's going well there, what's not. Um, and I use, you know, Google Classroom and that to, to get them using, um, you know, the Google documents for collaboration and sharing your ideas and things as well. There's so much you can do with it. It can be a little bit overwhelming and I'm still, again, learning as I'm going. Um, but it, it, it is a great tool and I think it is a good way of, of getting some students or getting most students to to share their ideas in a different way, not down on, on pen and paper because, you know, if, if I look back at myself as a student, I wasn't the, the, the sharpest tool in the, in, the, in the shed. I was embarrassed about writing. I wasn't the best writer. I, you know, I wasn't the best um, reader, but I, I did have ideas. And I think if I had a, had a tool, if I had a, had a device, I, I probably could have done a bit better in that. So I try and think of it at that aspect as well. When you know you mentioned that you were kind, well, you were kind of thrown in the, in the deep end where a school wanted to go paperless. How hard was it to take these devices and 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 use them in a way? And I'm going to touch on the SAMR model that wasn't just the direct substitution. So how did you make sure that you're augmenting or modifying or redefining that learning experience for the students when you're kind of forced into that environment? I think, I mean, I guess it was just through, I, I um, did a little, quite a bit of, quite a bit of YouTubing, I guess you could say. And, um, back, back then I wasn't really even using Twitter that much. So it was just about, you know, asking those questions, um, of people that maybe had used it. And I guess, like I say, it was lucky enough that YouTube had a, a pretty good substantial resource and, and it was about finding out the different ways that you could do it. So, for example, I was um, for reading. You know, I you know, I'd, the kids would use the iPad and they would record the page that they were using, um, and they could then record and they could listen to the um, mistakes that they were making, um, highlight the words that they that they struggled on on different apps that they could use, um, and it was really through trial and error as well, a lot of trial and error, um, and getting the students to do something with an app, using an app and seeing how well it went and seeing how they, you know, how easy that was that they could use and then saying, well, no, that absolutely didn't work. I'm not going to use that app again. Or, wow, that went really well. What can I do to use that better? Um, so it really was, yeah, just 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 that trial and error um, and asking questions of, of people and that, again, I wasn't really using Twitter that much, but that's when I, I started to use the global sort of community to to help me out. And I, that's what I'm trying to do now is 
while I'm on Twitter um, now um, is share resources that I've created and and share ideas about how I use that technology as well. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that you raise this whole this whole concept of trial and error. And I think we need to be very careful um, in, in this day and age. I think we are very quick to judge people on the way. And I've, I haven't considered this until you explained it. I think we're very quick to judge people and how they use technology and, and jump the gun and say, hey, but that's, you know, you've just, you could do the same thing on a piece of paper. You know, what what benefit do the students have using that device? And we forget that, hey, p- people are starting at, at different levels. People have different confidence with devices and technology. Mm. And trial and error is a real powerful way to learn and improve and develop. And I think... Um, we could do a little bit less judging of people and and instead think about how we can support them through that process of trial and error um, to become better users of technology in, in meaningful ways. So um, I, I think you touched on on a on a really good point there. Going back to those apps and, and devices and, and technology, how how do you make sure that the use of your technology in your classroom is grounded in strong pedagogy? Because I often hear you know, teachers, they're like, have you tried this app or have you tried this app and this app can do this? And it's like, okay, yeah, but, you know, how how are we putting the pedagogy first so that it's it's really meaningful use of technology? I think the students have got to have a, and the teacher has got to have an understanding of what outcomes they want, um, what's the actual purpose of the app. Is it to make... Is it to make a video look cool and have emojis and that on it? And is it a presentation thing, or is it an actual? Um, is there, you know, is it going to help to drive students' learning and to help them themselves, the students, understand where they're going to next and what they're getting out of it? Um, and I think for me. Um, it's, it's, it's making sure that the students have got a clear understanding of, of how to use the app properly, but also, you know, it's not all just about the app. It's about their understanding and how they show their understanding. And there are lots of different ways that they can show understanding from, you know, like I've explained, Flipgrid, where they're, you know, sitting in front of a camera talking about it to, you know, um, using the camera and then putting that footage onto a keynote and having bullet points and things like that. So it's about, you know, the purpose for the app and the actual, what them understanding the actual outcome as well. Mm. Yeah, good. I, I think that's good that you recognize that and you're, you, that's part of your practice, um, which I think is good. You're also passionate about coaching and, you know, you've been through that track and field system and, and you've done some post-grad study on it. So um, I'm, I'm keen to hear what's different about athlete-centred coaching and leadership, which is something that, you know, that's kind of your thing. Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess um, that athlete-centred coaching it, it runs alongside um, what we're sort of doing in schools, especially in, the, in my PE and in the, in the, in the, um, in the IB it's sort of a TGFU model. The, the your and the students and the athletes are playing games, and they're using the skills within those games that they can then take to the actual sports field. And I guess um, that 
that leadership um, and working out that leadership model is is the same sort of thing in regards to how you teach. I guess as a teacher, you are a leader, but you're also um, you're also giving who you're leading the chance to find out for themselves. If you know what I mean, um, you know I don't think a leader or a sports coach they're not going to be they're not they're not out on the sports field or they're not in the middle of the office environment they're actually you know the, the students and the athletes they've got to find out for themselves about what they need to do to adapt on the sports field or in the classroom or in a work environment what they need to do and they need to be confident to do that and it's about as a teacher and as a leader you need to be confident and be able to give them the confidence to to try new things and to take risks and to fail as well um because again we don't we don't we don't learn if we're all, if we're not failing if you know what i mean you, you learn you can take those failures and and build on it and adapt and as long as you're understanding what's happened and and you can do better with it then um as a as a as a coach and as a leader, you can you can do big things. I think it, it sounds a lot like a, um, a laissez-faire coaching style or leadership style with a little uh, some more boundaries and 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 a slightly more focus given to the person you're supporting. Would would that be a a, a good description? Yeah, I mean it, it is, and I think. You know, there's, you've you've they've, they've obviously within a school environment. You know, the students they do have to have that guidance, and they still need to. Um, you've still you still have that outcome. You still yeah. you're still driving them to to have an understanding of where you want them to go. But sometimes it might you know that the, the old the path might not be as straight as as it could be, and and sometimes it might go off and might go a bit wonky. So it's about guiding them and, and helping them and and yeah it, it is about them finding their way mm. i'm i'm and finding I'm, I'm finding with my leadership as as i've grown as a leader um i can see aspects of a more laissez-faire approach creeping in but in a not in a you know that's that style is often used in a, in a negative sense but I think it, it falls into that, like what you explained, of, of people needing to um, fail and fail forward and find their own path with some guidance and some support from that that role model. Um, and and mm. I think that's that's really interesting. And I think when you can bring that into an educational environment and and through those failures and through finding that path, I think that endpoint for that person when they leave primary or secondary, I think that person is going to be in a much stronger position than than somebody who had been guided um, very, you know, very linear in that approach. And this is the way we do things. And this is what you should be striving for. And this is what you should do. So I think there's definitely scope there to build on that and, um, and, and support, you know, support the kid. But, have a little bit less structure to what they're doing. Do, do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, and I think that some people do think when they hear that word inquiry that I've spoken about, they I guess they think about, you know, I, I guess you do hear of some people 
describe it as anarchy, but it's not really, you know, like kids hanging off rafters and things like that, but it isn't. It's about them finding themselves and 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 working out being problem solvers. Um, what, what, and again, we talk about, the, and the great thing about the PYP and inquiry is, it's, you know, you're turning them to global citizens in regards to, you know, being able to work in the team and being able to, overcome problems you know and, and have that strong mind so yeah i think it's about building building strong people yeah structured chaos is, is, is a term we use a lot in uh, in my department and you know you quite often we will sit you know a senior leader will come over and and you're, you they look in your class and they just see this chaos and and i often wonder what they're thinking but um, much to their credit, you know, they don't seem to come in and say, hey, what's this looks madness, what's going on here? But often it's creating those environments where there's a lot happening and lots of different things happening and um, it might not look like learning is happening, but um, there is rich and, and powerful learning experiences for those kids. Hey, before we get to the last question, is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything that you want to ask me? No, no, you, no, it's been great, mate. No, um, it's been Pretty cool. It's been a great discussion. Oh, good, good. Hey, as a as a fan of technology, um, I'm I'm I, I, and I can't recall if I included this when I sent you through some questions. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you engage with technology a lot outside of the classroom because it's something you're passionate about. I, what's been your worst shiny device syndrome purchase? Because I've got this problem, and my wife would tell you I've got this problem, but um, I'm keen to to hear what your worst shiny device syndrome purchase is. Oh, yeah, there's been a few, but um, there was one, and I don't know why I did it, but I, 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 because I teach in an international school, um, we have students, um, certain classes that um, are from um, their um, English second language classes. So you generally have one class out of 13 that are very low English. Um, so I thought I would um, try out, it's a, translating device <laughs> um, but, but it was definitely uh, and you know and you load up the app onto your phone and the app talks to the device and but I, I I tried using it in class and the looks I got from the kids I don't know what the device said um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was it was definitely only used once um, and I just relied on 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 the kids helping out and and the, the more stronger um, English students uh, or English speakers helping me out. But probably the translator. Um, I don't. I can't even remember the name of it. I think it might have even been brought on Alibaba or something <laughs> like that. Um, so that that would probably be the the biggest shiny device failure that I've had. Yeah, for sure. Love it. I um. I have a funny story where my, my wife used to be, she was a physio for the Wellington Pulse, which was um, Central Pulse, which was a professional netball team. And she would travel a lot. So she went off to Perth one weekend and I thought it'd be a really good idea to go and buy a 3D television. And so I, I bought this 50 inch 3D television and she got home and she was like, what the hell have you done? And she actually walked me back to the store with this TV and uh, made me, give it back uh, so that <laughs> that was quite embarrassing and, and yeah that's a, that's a um, very a very bold move <laughs> yeah, man. To, uh, yeah for sure um <laughs> yeah, yeah you're a braver man than me <laughs> 
Hey, LJ, um, this has been a really good chat. Um, it, it's, as I mentioned at the start, um, I, I love talking to athletes and hearing um, how their experiences in sport have shaped the way they approach teaching. Um, and, you know, you've spent a lot of time overseas. It'd be nice to see a, a, a guy like you and a teacher like you come back to New Zealand and, and, and give back to some of our um some of our learners that could learn so much from somebody like yourself. Um, but, you know, who knows what the future holds for you. But it's great to hear that you, the way you use technology is really grounded in that strong pedagogy and, and having the students understand why they're doing things and, and how technology can help them. So um, it, it's been a really good chat and I, I appreciate you taking the time out on a Sunday evening to, to sit down and chat, mate. No, not a problem at all. It's been great. It's, uh, it's, it's just cool to share ideas and hopefully, um, you know, if, if anybody wants to reach out, um, uh, I'll be on, you can find me on Twitter. So, um, and I'm always willing to, to answer any questions or share ideas. Um, like I've said, I've, I, I try and uh, make, make things easier for, for teachers and try and create resources that, that um, can help them out. Um, and I'm not one of the ones that charge for them either. So, um, yeah, feel feel free to, to reach out on Twitter if anyone wants to ask any questions. Excellent, mate. Thanks for that.